Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. How are you now? How are you now? <laughs> uh, folks, your Montreal Canadiens lose by a score of 3-1 to one to the Washington Capitals. Hello and welcome to episode 3. Jesus Christ, we're only on episode 3 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habsize and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and uh, I'm a little bit pissed off. Um, not about the loss. Not about the loss. Uh, I, I've said this many times heading into the season. We are expecting to see a lot of losses this season. It's just there's there's certain things inside of that loss that are really, you know, driving me up the wall at this point. Anyways, we got to get into it, right? We got to do a recap. We, we got to talk about what happened before I can, you know, really talk about what happened. And... Um, I'll be honest, it, it was not a bad start from the Montreal Canadiens. Again, you know, they, they get out in the first couple of minutes not looking too bad. Um, power play, Habs get a power play, doesn't go midway point of the period. And of course, that ends up hurting them. Not long after that power play, Eric Gustafson, form, former Hab, Eric Gustafson, uh, throws an intentionally wide point shot and it goes right to Alexander Ovechkin. He tips it in. And makes it one nothing for the Washington Capitals. However, Martin St. Louis challenges for offside. The offside challenge miraculously takes all of three seconds for them to skate out and go, yeah, that was definitely offside and uh, no goal. And we get right back into action. I was pleasantly surprised and impressed by how quickly they got through that review. That was excellent. Anyways... The Capitals had the better chances in that first period, but uh, we go to the intermission with a 0-0 score. And if we learned anything from that Red Wings game, right, last night's game, the Habs have an ability, at the very least their coaching staff has an ability, to make some adjustments in the room in between periods and come out looking a little bit better than they did in the previous frame. And that happens again in this one. Very early on in the second period, Canadians are buzzing a little bit. Arbor Jackeye takes a point shot. It misses. But Nick Suzuki gets that rebound off the boards, skates around a little bit behind the back of the net. Uh, beautiful pivot. Comes around, throws a wraparound, and scores. Makes it one nothing for the Habs. They have a lead, despite, again, being arguably the inferior team after 20 minutes. They've got a lead in the second period. Of course, that's where the wheels kind of came off. Right? Another power play happens for the Habs a little bit after that. It is absolute dog shit. Absolute dog shit. And um, 
Shortly after the power play is over, Connor Sheary just drives the net, uh, takes a pass and bangs it right in, makes it 1-1. A little past midway point of the period, I think about eight minutes left to go in the frame. Anthony Mantha gets a puck coming out of the corner. I'm not too sure who threw that out there. I think it was... I think it was one of the Capitals players, but a bit of a combination. Like there's a mad scramble in the corner, puck comes out into not really the high slot, but kind of into the face-off circle. Anthony Mantha gets it and just fires it home, beats Samuel Montembeau. That's a shot that Montembeau really should have had, uh, but alas, it's two to one for the Capitals. And then later on in the frame, Mike Hoffman takes a penalty, a slashing penalty. It was a soft penalty, uh, not one that you would typically want to see the officials calling. But it's a penalty, and uh, the Caps' power play is very potent. TJ Oshie gets stopped on his first attempt down low, but the puck's just sitting right there in the crease. And with very little effort, he bangs that in and makes it 3-1. to one. That's the score at the end of two periods. We go into the third. The Habs, they fight back. Um, a lot of that was probably score effects. You know, the, the shot total started coming a lot closer. The Habs were definitely getting the better opportunities in that period, but Washington was mostly just trying to defend, uh, hang on to their lead. Uh, Very late in the game, actually, Montreal pulled the goalie again, had their goalie out with a two-goal deficit, kind of doing the same thing that they were trying to do uh, the other night, but it didn't work. Uh, I did find it funny. I I made a little joke on Twitter that Alexander Ovechkin took a shot from right around center ice and hit the post on the empty net and I was like well you're never going to catch Wayne Gretzky if you're going to hit the post on a shot like that but uh, yeah the Capitals win 3-1 bit of a disappointing game overall to watch as a Montreal Canadiens fan but uh, I've seen better I've seen worse I've definitely seen worse so before we get to the bad uh, let's let's start off with some good right so your silver lining of the night Uh, I'm going with Nick Suzuki Uh, He's currently sitting now at three points through three games. So point per game pace uh, very early on in the season here. And uh, he looked great, honestly. I mean, that goal that he scored, it's it's not his typical goal. He tends to favor more of a, not really perimeter shots. He likes to get in a little bit tighter. He's not... You know, everybody calm down. He's not Max Pacioretty, even though, you know, I would argue that Max Pacioretty was never a perimeter player in the first place, even though he liked to shoot from there a little bit. I digress. Nick Suzuki tends to favor shots from the high slot, top of the circle type area. Sometimes he gets down into the lower slot as well, and he actually does quite well in front of the net. But this was, you know, just a really good piece of skating from him. Jack Eye misses the shot, whether it was intentional or not, I don't know. And Suzuki just dominates below the goal line, puts everybody in a blender. I mean, by the time he completes the wraparound, <clears throat> the four closest players to him are all capitals. He's got no teammates around him. They still couldn't D him up. Uh, it was just a great piece of skating below the goal line, and it's a really good start to the season for him. I know we've had two tough games in a row now out of three. But when you look at Suzuki, I have said this many times. I do believe that he's going to have at least one 90-point season in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. I don't think that's coming this year. But I do think he's got a shot at maybe getting up to close to that point-per-game pace over the course of the year. He gets a full year with Cole Caulfield. I'm not too sold on Josh Anderson as the other winger on that trio. But he'll, he'll, he'll do in a pinch. 
And I think Nick Suzuki is going to be able to make hay there. And he's going to eventually, I think, start getting a little bit more opportunities in the power play as well. Um, I, I really believe that he could get close to that point per game mark this season. And this could be the beginning of him getting towards that 90-point season that I've been predicting uh, for some time. So I, I hope he does. And not just so that my prediction can be right, but because I, I really believe in him as a player. He seems like a really nice young kid. Um, you know, he mentioned after being named captain that he's trying to learn French, which is not something that he has to do, but something that he's willing to do in order to show some respect uh, and some admiration for the French Canadian fans here uh, in Montreal and around Quebec. It's just, he, he seems like the perfect person to be the captain of the Montreal Canadiens. He's got that reserved nature to him, he doesn't seem to get too affected by criticism. Um, and in this market, you, you need that second part for sure. Um, I'm a big fan, and, and I really hope that he can get close to that mark this year just because I, I think he deserves that. I think he deserves that, to, to have that boost of confidence for himself, you know? Um, what else was good? <laughs> there wasn't much. Jordan Harris. Jordan Harris. I have talked a lot about Arbor Jacki. I've talked a lot about um, Caden Gooley as well. And uh, Caden Gooley also had a really good game. But Jordan Harris was fantastic in this game, as far as I'm concerned. There was a two-on-one at one point, I think in the second period. Uh, I forget who was coming down the ice for the Capitals, but Jordan Harris was the the lone D-man. And uh, there is a highlight of that up on my Twitter, and I will put it in the article on Habs Eyes and the Prize as well. Um, And you can see him kind of scanning that and trying to figure out exactly where he wants to put himself. And he basically, you know, kind of non-commits the whole thing and stays right in the middle. And that's what you want to do on a two-on-one. The last thing you want to do is overcommit to the shooter and give up the pass because then you have a lateral pass coming across and that's very difficult for your goaltender to stop. The other thing that you don't want to do is just slide right over to the passing option and allow the shooter to deke out your goaltender. You want to force the shot. And that's precisely what Jordan Harris did. And then what does that do? Well, the puck carrier has two options. Take the shot or try to thread that pass. Now, in the case of Jordan Harris, they tried to thread the pass and Jordan Harris tips it and the puck's kind of fluttering there. And what does he do? He lays himself out and throws his stick. Well, he doesn't throw his stick, but with one hand, he kind of throws the stick out in order to tip it a little bit further to make sure that it gets out of danger. And it does. Uh, It was a textbook two on one D from him. And there's been a couple of games now where he's played textbook D. Right, he's not really chipping in offensively yet, but we're seeing excellent defense from him, and I think that's important. Right, I think the offense can be secondary for a player like him if he can play really good, sound defensive hockey, move the puck well, set up breakouts well. Which I also felt he did a really good job with setting up the breakout. I feel like that's been a big part of the Canadians' breakout looking a lot better than it has in previous years. Is him being back there. These things all contribute towards him being a legitimate NHL player. And I'm excited to see him play for the rest of this season. Um, him, him alongside Kaelin Gooley, I, I think, are the two rookies that, uh, I, I believe I mentioned this in previous episodes, I think they will stick. I don't see them going down to Laval at any point. Of course, you know, circumstances can change pretty quickly. But um, he had a fantastic game. Very much liked what he was bringing to the table. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see more of it. Who else was good? Um, Uri Slavkovsky was decent. Um, 
Cole Caulfield had a decent game. Um, I'll tell you who didn't have a decent game. You know what? Let's get into it. Um, I am beyond sick of seeing Mike Hoffman out there every night. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Mike Hoffman's not good. What are we evaluating there? There's nothing to evaluate. I do understand that like maybe there is a possibility they're trying to up his trade value a little bit so they can try and get something from him. But let's face it, he is, if anything, hurting his trade value right now with the way that he plays. He's terrible. He almost put the puck in his own net towards the end of the second period on a back check. I mean, this guy, he can't play defense. The one thing that he does well, the one thing that he has done well in his career is catch and shoot in the offensive zone, particularly on the power play. He looks like dog shit on the power play right now for the Montreal Canadiens. He has a zero individual expected goals for. That ties him with Rem Pitlick. That ties him with Jonathan Drouin, who has only played one game. He actually had, and I'm not kidding you, I'm not shitting you guys when I say this, okay? I'm looking at natural statric right now. He had (laughs) 8.96 shots per 60 on the power play with an individual expected goals per 60 of 0.62, okay? Brennan Gallagher has zero shots per 60 and has an individual expected goals for per 60 of 0.86. Brendan Gallagher has zero shots and is individually expected more goals than Mike Hoffman. Riddle me fucking that. Why is this guy on the roster? Again, he can't play defense, so he's not there for that. That's a wash. The one thing he's there for is offense, and right now he's not bringing you any of that. He's in his 30s. There's nothing to evaluate there. You're not going to improve him magically into a player that can help us through the rebuild. I can handle losing hockey games. I can. What I can't handle is us losing hockey games and also trotting out a player who has no utility whatsoever to this rebuild. Put him on waivers. Do whatever you want. Put, Put him on waivers. Trade him for a bag of pucks if somebody's willing to trade you a bag of pucks for him. The only thing I wouldn't do is retain salary because I don't want to see salary on the Montreal Canadiens books um, for a player that's not playing for them. So ideally, I would say do whatever you want without retaining salary. I should throw that caveat in there. But put him on waivers, man. Let's bring somebody else up. Let's bring up Jesse alone and, and see what he can do. He's already having a pretty good start to his year in Laval. We know he can help the power play. Mike Hoffman is not helping. I mean... Fair play to Hoffman on this front. They had him at the point on the power play against Washington. I hate that. I I really think that, you know, I I think you keep one defenseman on there. I think you put Arbor Jack. I I don't don't care. Anybody other than Mike Hoffman, 
right? If you're going to have Mike Hoffman, he needs to be super glued to that face-off dot. You hang around that face-off dot, and your one job is when the puck comes to you, shoot it. Putting him at the point not only takes away from you know what he does well regularly, but it, you're you're removing an opportunity from somebody else. Somebody else could have that opportunity right now, and that's my big beef, right? My big beef is not necessarily with Mike Hoffman as a human being. It's with the fact that we're wasting roster space on him instead of evaluating somebody else. This entire season should be about evaluation. Nobody, and I mean nobody, not even myself. I'm a lifelong Habs fan, right? Since the day I was born, I've been cheering for this team. I obviously want to see them in the playoffs, but I knew well before this season started that that wasn't going to be happening. Nobody expects it. And since nobody expects it, what does that mean? You have to be about evaluating for the future. Mike Hoffman's not part of the future. Let's end this experiment. Let's stop wasting space on the roster in order to trot this guy out there and watch him stink it up night after fucking night. I'm tired of watching it. I hope that Martin Saint-Louis is as tired of watching it as I am. I did like that he threw uh, Jonathan Drouin in there, although I got to say Jonathan Drouin had a rough game as well, but there's a caveat to that. He was on a fucking line with Mike Hoffman, and Jake Evans was centering it. Poor Jake Evans to give him two (laughs) wingers who are not very good at defense and just say, here you go. We're going to go play the Capitals tonight. And by the way, we're on the road, so you're probably going to be out there against Alexander Ovechkin at some fucking point. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyways, uh, I'm probably going to try to cut this episode off at this point before I say something terrible. Maybe I already said something terrible. Who knows? I I do these things basically stream of consciousness and uh, without cutting and editing or anything. So uh, I'll listen back to it before I post it, and we'll find out if I said something horrible. Um, what are we running? We're running over 17 minutes. So, since we're enorme pour les employés de soutien. Final thought that I want to leave you with. All right. Like I said, the number one thing that we should be about right now is evaluating. So, I understand why you send certain guys to junior. I understand why you send certain guys to the AHL. But what I don't understand is why you need to have these veterans. I'm not going to repeat everything that I said already, but I will say this. I believe that Martin Saint-Louis understands this as much as I do. I think he's also looking to the future. I don't think that he walked into this season thinking we're making the fucking playoffs. I think he walked into this season thinking we're in the middle of a rebuild. We need to try to work on some things. I think he's trying to salvage Mike Hoffman's trade value I think that's also a mistake I just hope he realizes that mistake I'm not turning on Marty St. Louis yet I know (laughs) anybody who's been listening to this podcast long enough you know I turn on coaches pretty quick I turned on Dominique Cham very quick I think after a couple of games I turned on him even before the playoff run happened I was not a fan of his Um, but (laughs) Eh, I'm I'm not ready to turn on Marty St. Louis. I I like the way the team looks overall. Um, I just 
I, I really don't like that configuration. I, I think we need to do away with this experiment, um, get him out of there, and let, let's see what some other people can do. Anyways, now we're up to like 20 minutes. So sorry for going a little bit over time today, folks. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We are on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. Thank you very much for listening to me for 20 whole minutes of my rant. And as always, à la prochaine. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.